Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. Well, tell me I did it again. No, there they are. Thought for a minute I did like I did Sunday and didn't bring my notes. I'm going to wonder if I have Alzheimer's here if I keep doing those kind of things. But anyway, I have them. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Haggai. We've got three books left in the Minor Prophets, and all three of these books were written to the remnant of Israelites that had come back from the Babylonian captivity. They'd been in captivity 70 years, and Cyrus made a decree. Uh, Cyrus reminds some expositors of Donald Trump. I don't know that he was saved, but, but he certainly... Uh, so the Lord certainly put, put favor in his heart for the Israelites. And so he was letting them return to the land. And when they returned to the land, there were over a million Israelites that were scattered throughout the, 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 that known world uh, during the Babylonian captivity. And only like 35,000 of them went back. And when they went back to Jerusalem and back to their land, they saw everything in shambles. They saw what the Babylonians had done to their great city and they had heard about Jerusalem and all of its glory, and this is a different generation, and they're coming down. These people were all born in captivity, and they come down and they see everything in shambles, and, and God wants them to rebuild the temple and rebuild their lives. He wants them to have fine joy and peace. He has, has a, had a play, good plan for them, but, uh, man, it was hard to do that when you saw what was happening, uh, what had happened to the, to the temple and what had happened to Jerusalem, and so... God sends these three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, to encourage them to go on with the project of rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. Uh, he wanted them to uh, come back together as a nation, to worship him, to observe the feast, and the temple was essential to that. And it's interesting that the name Haggai means festival or festive. So here's this festive prophet with a festive message for people who are really down and, and uh, uh, discouraged. And, and so uh, uh, he, he gives them first a rebuke, but then a really great word of encouragement. So let's pick up in verse number one of Haggai uh, chapter number one. In verse number one, it says, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. So we get an actual date here for this book. I mean, uh, it's not even an estimated date. We get an exact date. And um, that day is somewhere around maybe May the 1st uh, of the year, the second year of King Darius, which would have been around 520 B.C. Actually, it is 520 B.C. We know that from historical records about King Darius that it would be 520 B.C. And notice how this is dated because this is different. If you remember in the other prophets leading up to uh, Haggai, in all of the prophets, they date the prophets how? How do they date it? By the king who's reigning during that time. And what kind of king or where is the king from that they used to date the book? It's from Israel. So this marks a change 
because even though Zerubbabel is going to be the governor or the king, you could say, of Israel, they don't date it based upon his reign. They date it based upon the reign of uh, Darius. Why? Because the times of the Gentiles. Remember what Jesus said over in, in Luke chapter 21. He said that Jerusalem and Israel will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the end of the great tribulation. And so uh, this begins that age, not the great tribulation, but it begins this age where Jerusalem is trodden down by the Gentiles. Now, now there is, there is uh, an element of the Jewish nation in Israel today, but it's still, if you go to Jerusalem, it's still being trodden down by the Gentiles and it's going to get worse in the great tribulation. So, so uh, when you see things dated now, you see it dated based upon the Gentile king. And uh, in this case, it is Darius. And listen to what he says. He says, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. You know, any prophet that's worth his salt. In fact, if you're not worth your salt, you're not really a prophet. So any true prophet of God is nothing more than a voice for God. I love uh, John the Baptist, what he said about himself. He said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And that's really all a prophet is. He's just the voice. He's the mechanism that God uses to speak to his people. And so this word wasn't Haggai's word. It was the word of the Lord that came by Haggai, the prophet. And it came to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, uh, the messages to Zerubbabel, first of all, who was the governor of Judah. And his name is revealing because his name means sown in Babylon or born in Babylon. So here's this king of Judah who actually had citizenship in Babylon. He was born in Babylon. He wasn't born in Israel. But he was from the line of David. Uh, and he was appointed because he was from the line of David. He was the, the uh, grandson of the last king of Israel. And so he was appointed by Cyrus to, to govern Israel. And not only is this message to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, it's also to Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, Jehozadak, the high priest. Yeshua. Now, that tells us here that this priest is a type of Jesus Christ because he's the high priest in the day in which Israel returns from their captivity. In the same way, Jesus will be their high priest when, they to when they're totally free of their captivity and at the end of the uh, great tribulation when we go into the millennium. And so this word comes to Zerubbabel. It comes to the governor of Judah. Uh, it comes to Joshua, the high priest. And this is what he had to say. Look at verse number, uh, number two. Verse number two. He says, he says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Now, Jehovah Sabaoth, whenever we see that name, the Lord of hosts, you always know it's in the context of power, power that's needed. Here was these Israelites who had returned to the land and they were ready to quit. They were ready to give up on this project. It was way too costly. They had way too many enemies. And they felt that because they were having so much trouble that it wasn't of the Lord. Well, we know better than that, don't we? Just because you have trouble doesn't mean it's not of the Lord. In fact, you, 
if it is of the Lord, you're going to, might, you can be sure that you're going to face opposition from the enemy. You're going to face the opposition from the devil and his, his host of people. But he immediately says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. And that's to encourage them. The Lord who is over the armies and over the peoples of heaven. And uh, uh, he has the power to do anything he wants to do. And so no matter how bad this situation looks, the Lord of hosts is with you. And so be encouraged. And he says, this thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people are saying, and this is what the Israelites were saying at this point because they were so discouraged. The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built or rebuilt. In other words, things are too bad. This is too costly. We have too much opposition, too many enemies. And so apparently it's not the time to rebuild the temple. And uh, we know better than that. Anytime that the Lord tells you to do something, that's the right time. You don't measure whether the Lord has told you to do something uh, or whether it's the Lord's will by how easy it is. You can pretty much measure it by how hard it is. If it's very difficult, then it is of the Lord. They were saying, hey, this is too difficult, so the time has not come. And the Lord rebukes them for that. And I, I, you know, I, throughout my years in the ministry, I've seen so many people that have come to me and they've told me that God gave them a word to start this particular ministry, to do this particular thing uh, and do it for the Lord. And, and that they were sure, certain that God, had, I said, are you sure God called you? Oh, I'm certain God called me to do this. I'm 100% positive God called me to do it. And then it gets tough and things get slow and they quit because they decide that the time is not right. Well, the timing is right. If the Lord told you to do something, tells you to do something, then the timing is always right. And it not, might not seem right, but if God's told you to do it, then it is certainly right. And then he says in verse number three, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? I mean, you know, they wanted to quit because this thing was too costly. It was going to cost them a lot of money. It was going to cost them a lot of time. And they had all of this opposition. And so he addresses this issue about the cost. He says, you guys say it costs too much to take care of God's house, to take care of the temple. But all while you're, the time while you're saying that, you're taking care of your own house. And so, you know, if you've got uh, the money to do that, you've got the money uh, to do what I've called you to do. Look, I, I certainly believe that People should take care of their own personal needs. And I certainly think God wants us to take care of our own personal needs. But we should never put our own personal needs above what God's called us to do. That comes first. And God doesn't ask for everything. I mean, God wasn't asking them for everything. He was asking them for some time. He was asking them for some of their money. And they weren't willing to give him that time. And they weren't willing to give him their, that money because they were so discouraged. They just saw this project and they said, this can't be done. And the Lord of hosts said, yes, it can be done, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to pitch in. You're going to have to serve me. You're going to have to give to, to my work. And, and, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you do, then you're going to be rewarded. And 
that brings us back or brings us to the principle that we see over and over and over again in the Bible. I wish there was more than you guys here because I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But let me tell you this principle. It's, it's, it's critical to, to the Christian life. What you sow is what you reap. And that's exactly what Haggai is going to say next. Listen to what he says in verse number five. He says, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, here's what I want you to do, the Lord of hosts says. I want you to look at your own life. I want you to examine your life. Examine where you're at and consider how, life, how things are going for you. How's this thing working out for you? And, but, hey, let, the Lord says, let me tell you how it's working out for you. I'm going to tell you. You've worked hard. You've sown much. Look at verse number six. And bring in a little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe, you're still thirsty, is what he's saying. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. You're still cold spiritually. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them in a bag with holes. The Lord says, ponder this. Take a closer look at your life. You keep working, but yet you don't make enough to live. You never have enough money. You eat and you drink, but you're never satisfied. You have nice clothing, but you're still cold inside. You get a paycheck and you cash the check and you put it in your pockets, and it's if your pockets have holes. Because it somehow just flies away. You never keep any of it. And so if there's nothing left for you, you got to ask yourself, why is this happening? I've been in the ministry 28 years. And I can say the same thing David said in the Psalms, I have never seen a righteous man begging for bread. I hadn't seen one yet. I have never seen someone who gave to the Lord from the first check they get, they gave the first fruits of that check to the Lord. I haven't seen it in 28 years. Those people who do that, or do well financially. They do well financially. There might be times when they're broke, but you know, that's as far as it goes. I've been broke several times since I've been saved, but you know what? Never have I gone past that. Never have I had to call somebody and say, could you loan me some money? I got to tell you, when I was in business and had millions of dollars in my bank account, I was always trying to borrow some money. But when I got saved and I started giving that first part of my money that I brought in to the Lord. I mean, God started working out all sorts of financial issues in my life. And let me say something else in 28 years of ministry. I have never seen someone who holds back from the Lord. I don't care what situation they're in, who doesn't always struggle financially. They're always struggling financially. And now I'm talking about Christians here. Non-Christians, there's some rich non-Christians. You wonder how they get rich and stay rich. For some reason, God allows them to do that. 
they're probably getting their money from the devil and doing something devilish to get it. I'm talking about Christians here. Christians who give from the first, from what they make. And I say a minimum of 10%. And I'm not trying to get in your pockets here. But again, I'm preaching to the choir. But a minimum of 10%. I've never seen that person struggle. You know, we're going to get to Malachi and God's going to say, test me on this. Bring the tithes to the storehouse. Test me on this. And, and you know, I've been watching this for 28 years. And I've, it, on either side, I've never seen the principle fail. People who give their time and their money and money to the Lord. You know, people say, well, I give my time. I don't have to give my money. Baloney. People who give their time and money to the Lord do not. Go, the Lord takes care of them financially. If you do it with the right heart. Now, if, you, if your motive is I'm going to give so I can get more, you, you're, you forget it. But if your motive is I love the Lord and I'm going to give from the, I'm going to give the first fruits of what I make to the Lord. If that's your motive because I love the Lord, the Lord is going to bless that. It never fails. People don't have, when people don't do that, they tell me they don't have faith. They really don't trust the Lord. Try the Lord on that if you don't do that. If you're here tonight and you don't give the first fruits of your money to the Lord, to try it. And if it doesn't work, and I've laid this out before, you come to me in, a, in six months, you come to me and we'll, we'll give you your money back. Because I know it'll work. It always works. And that's what he's saying right here to them. They weren't doing that. They were taking care of their own needs and they had forgotten. I mean, here the Lord had brought them out of captivity. He had brought them back into the land. They were his remnant. They were his favorite people. And they were quitting on the Lord. Verse number seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Hey, you want your life to turn around? Then get busy doing, doing what I've called you to do. Verse number eight, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. In other words, you put me first, that I might have pleasure in your work and in your work and in your life that I might be glorified. That's what God wants more than anything else. God didn't need a temple. God didn't need a temple. Who needed the temple? The Israelites needed the temple. Stephen, when he gave that, gave that Great apologetic right before he died. He said, God, he said, the most high does not dwell in temples made with men. I mean, I mean, made by with hands. I mean, that uh, we know that that's silly. What kind of God would that be? That's pagan gods dwell in a temple and never leave the temple. But the temple was the place where the people gathered corporately to worship God. It was a place where you could give to God. It was a place where you could give your time to God and you could give your money to God. When people tell me they don't have anything to do with the organized church, you know what? That 90% of those people are very selfish. That's a cheap way out because you don't have to serve anybody else. You don't have to give to the work of the ministry. And it's just a cheap way out for people who really are, you know, they're making an excuse for not giving their time and money to the Lord. He says, go up to the mountains and bring the wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in your works that I might be glorified. You know, I think one of the 
highlights of my ministry here at Calvary Chapel was when we bought this building and we came together to get this. If you'd seen this building before we, after we had first bought it, we had plenty of space, but it was in, it was in shambles and it was an impossible project. And it was a blessing because everybody, not everybody, but a core of this church came together. People put money into it. People put their time into it. And in 30 days, we took this building that was in shambles. It was a miracle. I mean, they did this temple in like, uh, they built the, they, I'm sorry, they built the walls in like 55 days, which was a miracle. They built the walls around Jerusalem. I don't remember how long it took them to build the temple, rebuild the temple. But we did that in 30 days. And it was such a blessing to, because it gave people an opportunity to glorify the Lord, to give to the Lord, to, to, uh, to serve the Lord. And I believe God was pleased and he was glorified by what we did. Did God need this building? No. We need this building. We need this building so we can come and pray together. We can worship together and we can study the word together. And hopefully sense God's presence as we do that. In verse number nine, he says, you look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Well, that speaks to, to what's going on in the world today. You, 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 you saved it all up and you, you built your nice home with your paneled walls, wood panel walls, these beautiful homes, and you, and you didn't take care of the temple, and I blew it away. Just like I put holes in your pockets, I blew your home away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house and take care of your own business. And you don't really care about my business. You don't really care about me. I saw the other day where Kirk Cameron was vilified by the news media because he said that he believed that the, the Lord had power over these storms that hit the United States. And... Man, they just, people don't want to hear that. I, you know, I, that's why I said it earlier, it's one of the good things about going through the minor prophets because you see right here, I blew it away. If a disaster comes to the city, I sent the disaster. Over and over again, the minor prophets, he's warning the nation that judgment is coming. He says all of these warning shots that have been coming at you have come from me. And he does that in our personal lives. Uh, you know, when we have struggles, when we have these things hit us all the time, we've got to ask ourselves, you know, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? I mean, sometimes, I mean, I know the pious thing is to say God's just trying to strengthen me in my faith. Well, a lot of times God's got the belt out and he's trying to discipline us and get us to, to do these things and glorify him and to serve him and to get serious about him. And I look at what's happening in our nation. We have this rich nation that everybody takes care of themselves. And so it doesn't surprise me if God comes along and he blows it away or he sends a flood and it floods away. And why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house is in ruins. You, it, it, and you can take this and you can really give it a lot of application because when God says his house is in ruins, what he's saying is you put me Second, instead of first, you're putting your own personal wealth ahead of me. There's nothing wrong with personal wealth, but you've put it, uh, 
your own personal wealth and well-being ahead of me. And so I'm coming along and I'm taking it away. Why is he taking it away? Because he's mean? No, because he wants a person to turn to him. He wants our nation to turn to him. I mean, uh, if God, you know, I'm not pretending to be God, so I can't tell you exactly what God's purposes was in these storms, but this tells me that it's quite very possible that, is, that God was blowing some things away. He was trying to get our attention. And, and, and instead of blaming this on climate change and global warming, somebody needs to stand up and say this very well, like Kirk Cameron, this very well might be the Lord. And I have to agree with him. Goes for droughts too. Fires. You seen any of that lately? Look at the, verse number 10. Therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew and the earth withheld its, withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought. Now, here God blows things away and he calls for a drought. If he calls for a drought, what's going to happen? If Elijah could call for a drought and it not rain for three years, I think if the Lord calls for a drought, it's not going to rain. And that won't be climate change. That will be the Lord. For I call for a drought on the land and, and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and all those things that you have put above me on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Because I'm trying to get your attention. You know, I'm hoping at some point, all of these shots that are being fired at us, at some point, Americans will repent and we will have revival. And I think maybe, you know, at least, God has the attention of the, his remnant. He has my attention. And I mean, this isn't anything new. I mean, it, we've had natural disasters throughout history, but, but boy, when they come the way they've come in waves here lately, it tells me that God's trying to say something to us. And Haggai tells them this, and I really like this. They immediately repent. Immediately. Look at verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, now they had to recognize, for them to do that, they had to recognize that this was a voice of God speaking to them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Isn't that wonderful? Wonder why. Well, they had spent 70 years in captivity. And I don't think they wanted to go back into captivity. And it was, and, and they had a healthy fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. And so they obeyed the voice of the Lord and the, and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Feared a healthy, they had a healthy fear of the Lord at this point. I mean, because the governor obeys, the high priest obeys, and all the people obey. They got the message. And they knew that God had sent that message to them and and uh, so they obeyed. And watch what happens. Look at the reward here. Look at the reward. You know what? When we do what God wants us to do, there are great rewards. There are great rewards. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you says the Lord. Ain't not a greater reward than that. 
When Jehovah is with you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And all we have to do is put the Lord first. Just obey that call to put the Lord first in our life. Above all our possessions, above all we're trying to do in, in a worldly on the worldly stage and put God first. And you know what the reward is? God says, I am with you. When God is with you, you start seeing the opposition fall. You start seeing the obstacles fall. You start seeing mountains being moved. And if your life is a life where you're just staring at a mountain all the time and it doesn't go anywhere, God's not going to move that until you put him first. And when you put him first and you're ready to obey, then, then uh, hey, he's with you. And now, hey, they weren't afraid of their, these enemies, this opposition. They weren't afraid of the cost. Uh, no matter how daunting this task was, they were, they were ready to obey it. And they were moved to action to finish the house of the Lord. Look at verse 14 and 15. We finish up there. And he says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit. Stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. You ever need your spirit stirred up? You know, when you, when you take that step out, I mean, here they were, here was a people, they were afraid and they were weary and they were ready to quit. But they said, okay, we've heard your voice, Lord. We've heard your call to repent. We've heard your call to put you first. And then they put the Lord first and they got a second wind. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, the governor of Judah. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat. And now all of a sudden, all of these people are on fire. The high priest. And he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they went to work. I mean, work is fun when you're doing the Lord's will. Work is fun when God stirs up your spirit. I mean, he stirred up the spirit and they were doing the work uh, and the Lord of hosts was with them, their God. On the 20, and here's when it all started. On the 20, look at the, the exact details he gives here. On the 24th day of the sixth month, so like the 24th of May, in the second year of King Darius. So, as we end the chapter... We've got a remnant of the Israelites who have repented and they're doing the work of God by the power of God to the glory of God. You're in a good place when you can say that about your own life. And that all that requires is just a simple choice. I'm going to put God first in my finances. I'm going to put God first in my time. He'll multiply your finances. He'll multiply your time. You rob God, you'll have holes in your pockets the rest of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this strong word from Haggai and how applicable it is to all of us. Lord, we, we, we want you to be first in our lives. Lord, we want to experience those blessings of your presence, Lord, the power of your presence. 
the power that overcomes enemies and obstacles and the devil himself. Lord, that's the kind of power we can have, the, the, you, the power that stirs our spirits to do great things for you. Lord, in order to do that, we have to make you first. Lord, we just ask for you to remind us of that each and every day. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.